Good morning, church. As we start to worship this morning, would you feel free to be able to stand? You can sit, you can kneel, you can raise your hands as we raise a hallelujah this morning.
daylight savings to you all is one of the most stressful times for me personally being a control freak and let me tell you why it's because I'm that guy that has to set like a regular alarm clock and then the phone alarm clock and even check Google to make sure that both of those are also in line I'm working on my issues I really am. But here's the deal. What's, what's interesting to me is that usually with, with me, that route is for control. And so I plan ahead. I try to be as best as I can prepared, even though I woke up on the hour, every hour, checking my clock to make sure when the switch is going to happen, right? Because you never know. Well, you do know, but just wanted to make sure and sure enough, somebody had touched my clock in the, the room that we were in. My wife didn't touch it, but somehow a digital clock aligned with my phone. So that really threw me. And then the clock that was in another room was an hour ahead. So you see why I get stressed out? But here's something that is really interesting to me is that with planning, the beauty of planning is to be able to have some sense of control. But one thing that can change your planning is having children. Having children changes everything. So my six-year-old and my almost two-year-old, they don't know what a plan is. So they are constantly just doing their own thing. I have to be flexible with that. But what's so interesting to me is that anytime I walk into a room, just being in my presence, they stop everything that they're doing. 
everything, whether they're playing, whether they're arguing, whether they're doing what have you. And they rush towards their daddy. And I wonder if we have that same intentionality that when we are in God's presence, in the presence of our daddy, that we stop and drop everything and just marvel at being in his presence, that we are present in his presence. So I just wanna encourage you this morning that as we continue to worship together, whatever it may be on your heart, that you would just let go of everything and just enjoy being in the presence of your Father. Come on my soul, oh don't you get shy 
was interested. Can we sing the chorus one more time, church? So I throw up my hands, praise you again and again. Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. My name is David Hurtado. If you're new to me, you don't know who I am, that means you're new to our church and we want to welcome you. We are so glad that you're with us. Camarillo Community Church, or we often more officially call it CamCC. Uh, you're in the right place. We're glad you're with us. If you're online, uh, maybe checking us out this week online, coming next week, whether you're out in the patio, whether you're in the video venue, thank you all those who go to the video venue. Your humility is amazing to me. Or maybe you're watching this week because you don't want to miss out and you want to be able to have a discussion in your growth group. We're just glad that you are hanging out with us. Uh, and welcome. My name is David Hurtado. I'm glad you're here. I need you uh, to focus in on what we got going on this month. Uh, if you're new to our church, you don't know this, but one of our core values is to make community impact. And so three to four times a year, we will do something that we call a community impact initiative, some way to get our hearts and minds outside of our walls, and not just about us, but, but our community, uh, and, and what's best for our community, how we can serve our community, and who knows, maybe one day they'll come back and, uh, and appreciate us for doing that, maybe even find the Lord, because we invested first. And so this month, we're doing something called Kindness Kits. And uh, there's these little cards, when you leave today, you'll see the center of our lobby, a whole little display there of kindness kits, of the kits that we're going to be building in kindness. You can grab a card as you leave on the way out. But the heart of this is to collect items that people need when they're suffering through um, homelessness, when they're uh, dealing with homelessness or in a state of homelessness. And so we're going to be collecting things like deodorant, shampoo, socks, a washcloth, hand lotion, a sunscreen, bars of soap, toothbrush and toothpaste, reusable cuttery, believe it or not, it's a huge need so that they have uh, utensils when they eat, chapstick, facial tissues, 
band-aids or bandages, wipes and sanitizers. And so uh, we're going to be collecting, we're asking you to grab these items this month, bring them back, and then the last week of this month, come back, because the last Sunday of this month, we're going to make the kindness kits together. We'll bag them all up, and then the idea is either we will give them off to our peace officers in Camarillo, uh, the rescue mission uh, in, in Oxnard, or we might have a team ourselves that will go out and hand these things out as well. And so we're asking you this month, collect these items, and then also come back and help us build the kindness kits. Now, we're going to put a little image on the screen, because I want to let you know how easy this is. Literally, you could take out your phone right now and take a picture of that QR code. Once you hit it, it'll take you to our website where it tells you all about kindness kits. And then at the very bottom, there's a link there to an Amazon wish list. So you just go there, go to the Amazon wish list, buy the items, and ship it to your house, bring it back to church. How easy is that? We took all the thoughts out of it, all the thought process out of it. Uh, we we got found the best deals already. Just go to the Amazon wish list, scroll down, boom, buy the ones you want. The reason I love these type of initiatives is because if God's blessed you a ton this year and you're able to buy 50 of these things so you can help build these kindness kits with us, or if you're able only to buy three, everybody can be involved. So if God's blessed you enough to buy three, then go buy three, bring it back. If God's blessed you enough to buy 50 or 100, whatever, go, bring, go buy them, bring it back, and then come back in this month so we can build these kindness kits together. Can you do that? Will you do that? Thank you. I love it. I love our church. Church has always been awesome about thinking outside of ourselves and into our community. That's not the only thing we do to combat the issue of homelessness in our community. I want to let you know that we have a pantry uh, some of you know this, but we had a record last week of the most families we've ever served in one Friday at the pantry, 173 families. I want to let you know that before the pandemic, we were averaging about 100, and it's almost doubled since then. So it is an issue that's on the rise. We serve those who are homeless there, and we serve those who are on the, uh, on the, on the, fringe, of being, uh, on the fringe of being homeless as well. Do I make a decision between food and rent? We try to help with the food piece of that. So just know when you support us and you resource us, you enable us to do that in our community. I'm told that we're averaging eight new families every week at the pantry. Our pantry is not like a regular church pantry where you get like a box of you know uh, SpaghettiOs or whatever. I guess that comes in a can. But our pantry is like you get milk, eggs, proteins, uh, all that kind of stuff. Uh, as we work in connection with uh, food share and we hand out those, those, uh, those, those pieces and items of food. Now, I will tell you there's going to be a very, very cute lady out on the patio today wearing a huge uh, turkey uh, costume. Uh, I say she's really, really cute because she's my wife. And she's trying to remind our church that this month we are collecting turkeys and whole chickens and turkey breasts so that we can give those things out to uh, uh, our community who's in need. And so if you want to do that as well, you can. Uh, uh, kindness is the month of Thanksgiving around here. Just understand that. So it's Thanksgiving. We're, uh, it, you, we're, the month of November is all about kindness. Thanksgiving, we're going to be collecting uh, birds, dead birds, and we'll be collecting a lot of items that we can help uh, with this uh, homelessness problem. So please help us this month as we come back the problem of homelessness in our own community. I know so many people are concerned. I see this on the rise. I see more and more. I know you do, and we do too. We want to do something about it together. Would you help us, and can you help us, and will you help us? Start bringing the items next week. We're excited to, to do something about it this month. With that being said, we need to switch gears completely and head towards our message. And so I'll just do a rough transition and ask you a question. Have you ever come to a place of extreme desperation in your life? 
only to find out at the very end that God was behind you the whole time, that God had your back. Have you ever been in a situation where you're like the lowest of lows of life? You couldn't see it at the time, but once you got through it, you'd look back and go, oh my gosh, I think God had me the entire time I was there. Several years ago, I, um, uh, this is in the realm of almost 20 years ago now, I was serving as a church as a youth pastor, and, and not only as a youth pastor, but also as a, as a preaching pastor in the church. And so I would speak once a month, and I, I almost felt like I had two different ministry realms. One was to the students that I oversaw and their families, and I loved doing that. And I was probably most devoted there. And then, because I was speaking once a month on the stage, I had a lot of people that I would build acquaintances with. It was a larger church. And, and, and so I was ministering on that level as well. Uh, in, in the church world, in the pastor life, if I could call it that, uh, pastors usually take out Friday or Monday uh, as their day off. And the reason just makes sense, because you study encroaches on your Saturday. Sunday morning, you're working, and sometimes there's even not only the morning, but there's uh, noontime, afternoon, and even nighttime activities of church life. And so you either choose Friday or Monday as your day off to, to take a break. If you're going to have balance in your life, you got to figure out, how do I get away from this for at least one day a week? And, and do i got to still mow the lawn, so all these other things. And so I've typically chosen Mondays. I, I take Mondays off. I'll be off tomorrow. Uh, I've chosen Mondays for the last 20, 25 years, and I guard my Mondays pretty religiously, meaning I don't always respond to text messages on Mondays. I don't always listen to phone calls, uh, phone messages on Mondays. I, don't, I try not to open up my email until Tuesday. I, I generally speak and say, no, I need, to, I need to leave that aside, take a day for my family, whatever's going off, maybe spend some time with my wife on Monday, uh, go out to breakfast, those type of things, just to have balance in life. And, and, and this was a, a kind of a particularly unique day some 20 years ago when I found myself going to church on a Monday. I never go to church on Monday. Uh, and I, it was one of those things where I had left my computer in my office, and I needed my computer because I needed to pay some bills, and I couldn't do that without my computer, so I'm going to have to go into the office and grab my computer and leave. But I'm going to do it in such a way that I can go through the back door, nobody will see me. I'm be very quiet. I won't announce to anybody that I'm there. Grab my computer, go home without everybody even knowing because I didn't want to get wrapped up in a conversation about, hey, we're playing this or whatever, you're here now, so why don't you, and, uh, and, and it's hard to say no to those things. <laughs> and so I just quietly went and grabbed my computer, and I quietly went. I mean, we're talking like 50 seconds. Boom, get in, get out. I'm on my way, and I think, I, I, think I, I think I made it. I think I'm home free. I'm walking up the steps of the, of the back door of the church, and I hear somebody call my name. Pastor Dave. And I thought, oh, wow, I didn't, I was so close. Uh, <laughs> welcome to my life. <laughs> and, so, and, uh, and, and it was Henry. I go, Henry, how you doing, man? I just turned on to pastor mode. How you doing, Henry? And then I realized that Henry was not doing well. Henry's hand was in his face. And he sat down by a little bench right next to the backside of the church there. And, and uh, I go, Henry, what's going on? And he said, Pastor Dave, I was going to kill myself this morning. But I thought I'd come to church and see if I could find you here. Now, I want to make sure I'm clear. I never go to church on Monday. I was there for all of 50 seconds. On my way out, I get in my car. If I go home and you call me, I'm not picking up. Somebody else is going to have to handle it because I, I, I tune out on Mondays. This is obviously a situation I didn't want to be available for, but I'm generally not available for anything on Mondays because I just thought I'd come and see if I could find you. In fact, it was interesting because I was going out the back door and he didn't go through the front door and I get the sense that he didn't 
he was avoiding the front door. And so the very fact that he saw me at that point was even odd. I ended up telling him, I said, Henry, I think God wants you alive because I'm not supposed to be here and I tune out on Mondays and somehow at just the right moment when I was just about to get in my car, you were here to be able to ask me and seek me out. Turned out to be a a pivotal point in Henry's life. Um, It was a day that would mark some great beginnings for him. It wasn't a day that would mark the end for him. I prayed for him that day, and we both acknowledged the miracle that is that we would find each other crossing paths at that moment. I would end up later going on to baptize Henry, and we continue a friendship to this day, even if only through social media. But God had different plans for Henry. The point of his extreme desperation is where he found that God had a divine appointment waiting for him. By the way, on a complete side note, I want to let you know that our church and the chairman of our elder board, Frank McCarthy, has developed a prayer team that's available to you. Because we know that these points of low desperation do come in our lives, and we don't ever want you to feel alone in those points, I want you to know that every Sunday there is somebody here who will pray with you, put their hands on you, put oil on you, however you feel comfortable to make sure that you know you're not alone and God has not left you alone in your point of loneliness or desperation. Yes, there are even low points for Christians where they can think about things that would be the wrong decision to end their own lives, and we want to be available to you. So even today, when uh, the last song will be done, the video, and everybody will leave, and there'll be some song on, that song will end, and there'll be people here ready and waiting for anybody who stayed back who wants to be prayed over. I want you to know that's happening on a weekly level, and if you ever find yourself in that place where you need that, please Please, and don't wait to the lowest of lows either. Wherever you're at, we want to be able to pray with you. So that's available to you. Today we're going to continue in our series in 1 Samuel and see how God meets David at his point of extreme despair. I don't see you, I don't see what's going on, but in the end, oh my gosh, I think you had my back. How did he come through for David and how might he come through for you? What was surprising about how he met David at his low point And how might he do something similar for us? What resources are at God's disposal and how might that shock us? How might that shock us in the process? If you have your Bibles today, open up to 1 Samuel chapter 21 together. If you have your Bible, hold up in the air real quick. If you have your phone, you're going to use it. Put it, hold up in the air. Everything's good. We want to be committed to the Word of God and let it saturate, kind of pour over our lives like a waterfall, change us from the inside out. So bring your, I had somebody this, this morning goes, I bought a Bible just because you said, so I have this big old fat Bible, and I even have like a marker to, to make marks in. I'm like, you're awesome. You make me feel like a good pastor. Everybody else is horrible. Uh, I'm just kidding, just kidding, no, I'm just kidding. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 21, we look at verses 1 through 9 together, not that long today, all right? Overarching question, how can God surprise you with his provision in times of extreme desperation? How can he surprise you? How does he surprise you? How did he surprise David with his provision even at the lowest point of desperation? The first thing we're going to see is he can feed you with holy bread. Now that sounds weird and I promise you I'll explain it, but just take it in right now. He can feed you with holy bread. He has resources that you don't even know about. He can take the holy bread and use it for your sustenance. If he asks you, he will meet you at your point of provision, uh, with a point of provision, at your point of extreme desperation. He can feed you 
with holy bread. Let's look at this together in chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. It says this, and then David said to, uh, came to Nob to uh, Ahimelech, the priest, and Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling, and said to him, why are you alone? Why is nobody with you? And David said to Ahimelech, the priest, the king has charged me with a matter and said to me, let no one know anything of the matter by which I send you and with, with, and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for this and such a place, meaning I'm not by myself. I have these group of people with me, and they're gonna meet me later. Now then, what do you have in hand? Give me five loaves of bread, or whatever else is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is what? Holy bread. Go ahead and circle that, highlight that, underline that. There is holy. I don't have common bread, but there is holy bread. And if the young men have kept themselves from women, they can have it. And David answered the priest, truly, women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The, the vessels of the young men are holy even when it's an ordinary journey. How much more today, and, and the idea is that in war times, uh, how much more today would their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him holy bread. For there was no bread there but the bread of the presence. I would love for you to highlight that, underline that, underscore that as well. But For there is no other bread besides the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day that it's taken away. We'll stop there. How can God surprise you with his provision even in times of extreme desperation? Well, he can feed you with quote-unquote holy bread. We find ourselves in the storyline in the series in 1 Samuel at a place where, Samuel, or where David is on the run from Saul. We, if you were here last week, you remember that David was very concerned that Samuel's trying to kill him, and he knows this because he's seen him send search parties out to kill him. And then he came himself, but he didn't want to leave without being responsible, telling his best friend, uh, somebody who loved the Lord as much as he did, uh, Saul's son, Jonathan. And so they came together with this test and tested to see whether or not Saul was really out to get David. Saul failed the test, confirmed in both Jonathan and David's mind that Saul's not only willing to kill David, he's willing to kill his own son if he has to, to get to David. And so that, that, with that confirmation, uh, it's kind of the Lord's will for him to end up on the run. He is now a fugitive, and Saul's own son, Jonathan, would be an advocate for him doing so. And so we see that David is a fugitive. Now, mind you, he's about 20 years old at this point. He's probably going to be on the run for a couple decades, at least one decade. And just as Israel had to walk through uh, the wilderness before reaching the promised land, so David is now having to walk through his wilderness before he reaches his rightful kingly throne. We see this a little bit as a, as a um, storyline, of the, a common storyline in the Old Testament. You go through some rough days before you see the glory days. You might feel this is true of your own life. God allows me to go through it, uh, relying on him, staying humble, and now I'm more prepared to lead whatever he wants me to lead, do whatever he wants me to do. I may be in the wilderness period, but there also may be a day where there's a promised land period or a kingly throne period as well, so to speak. So he's on the run. And he comes up with a story to reassure the priest who's going, something seems amiss. You're hanging out by yourself. Uh, normally you would be with the king or the king's court. Why are you here on your own? He's starting to get suspicious that maybe there's something awry, something's going on, am I in danger here? And David comes up with this story 
to reassure the priest. And in doing so, he basically lies to the priest. Says, well, the king sent me on a mission. He told me not to say anything about that mission. And I had to go so fast, I didn't, I didn't have enough time to grab equipment or food or anything like that. And, uh, and I do have people with me. They're over there, and I'll meet with them later. And, and, and he comes up with this story to kind of reassure the priest. Now, some people have gone out of their way to try to say, well, he wasn't really lying. He was talking about king as God. God was king, and God sent him on a mission. And you can try to do that if you're really trying really hard to um, come up with a way for him not to lie. But the simplest reading of the text is that he lied. The priest buys a story and then gives him bread. Gives him bread, but he gives him holy bread. Now, I want to take you through a little bit of a journey of what this bread stuff is. If you're in a growth group, you're going to want to take notes here because there's probably going to be some questions on this. There was no common bread or ordinary bread available. Uh, There was no bread that wasn't reserved for the Levites available. Levite was the priestly line of Israel. And they ate food that would come in sacrificially towards God and they they would partake in the leftovers of that food. That's how the Levites ate. And what he's saying there is I don't have any food that is generally left for ordinary common folks, this is only the food that the Levites eat. That's what he means by common or ordinary bread versus is um, the showbread or the holy bread. Showbread, if you have that in your Bible, is translated literally to be the bread of faces. That's very important. We'll come back to that. The bread of faces. All I have back is, left is the showbread, the holy bread, the bread of faces. Now, every uh, Sabbath uh, or so, the priest would bake bread. That was one of the Levites' jobs. And they would particularly bake 12 loaves. And they would put it out on this uh, table of presents, is what it was called. And they would do a row of six, bread, uh, six loaves of bread, and then a second, loaf, six, second a row of six loaves of bread. They were to do it in a very specific fashion. They had to be fluffy. They had to be big. All this, uh, the, the amounts of, uh, of ingredients all specified, and they would do this, and once a week, they would change out the bread. Now, that day that they would change it out typically would probably be around the Sabbath day when they would change it out. The show bread, the bread of faces, was there to symbolize that you could have a meal face-to-face with God. These loaves were present on the table of presence because God was trying to say, I'm ever-present among you. There were 12 loaves representing the 12 what? Tribes of Israel. Israel, God is ever-present amongst you. He wants to have a face-to-face relationship with you like a communal meal that you would have somebody with somebody face-to-face. That is your God, which, by the way, It was all symbolic that God wants to be near and not far away. Uh, Symbolized that there's always a seat available at the table of God for those who would desire his presence. That is still true today. Uh, You may be here going, I don't know if God wants any part of me. Oh, no, that's not true. Uh, He set a table where he sits with his presence face to face with you, and there's a seat waiting for you if you desire the presence of God. That is still true today. But all this was symbolic of how God wanted to be with you face to face, in communion, fellowship with you, in the very presence with you 
I don't want to be a faraway God. I want to be a near God. So what happens is, at the point that this bread is changed out every week because fresh bread was to be there because God wanted his presence to be fresh amongst you, okay? And so every week this would be changed out. What happened to the old bread that was used last week? Anybody want to guess? The priest would eat it. And what the priest is saying to David is, I don't have anything in the realm of just regular old bread that's in the cupboard, but I do have last week's showbread that was on the table that typically we priests eat. But I'll give that to you. As long as you eat it in a certain way. If you're gonna eat the Levite bread, you're gonna need to eat it in a Levite way, meaning you're gonna need to be ceremonially clean when you do this. Uh, One of the ways that you could be unclean is through sexual relations. And so have the men have had sexual relations with their wives who are with you. If they are ceremonially clean, then they can eat this bread. If they're not, they can't. Then, then David reassures him, no problem. It's war times. We don't, we don't do that. We see this as a theme in the Old Testament. We want God to give us favor in this war, and so we keep ourselves ceremonially clean because war actually was viewed as a sacred, um, a, a sacred a time that you would want to keep yourself clean during war so God gave you favor. So there's no problem there. And so the priest gives David... The bread, the bread that's generally reserved for priests. Now, that's kind of the underlying of what happens there. I have a question for you. It's a hard one. And those of you who have been believers for a long time, this may be a very, very difficult section of the message. But here David goes out of his way to lie to a priest. And is rewarded for that lie by getting holy bread to eat. Remember, he's on the run. He doesn't know where his next meal is going to be. He doesn't even know where he's going to sleep. So my question to you is this. Is it or is it not a sin to lie? Let me let you wrestle with that in your brain real quick. We're going to have some fun here. In fact, I want to remind you of three instances in Samuel where lying takes place. Number one was in 1 Samuel chapter 16 when Samuel went to go anoint David as the new incoming king. And they lie to Saul because they're concerned that Saul will take them both out if he knows. And say they lie about this meeting and what they're doing at this meeting. Secondly, we saw this last week in 1 Samuel chapter 20. David and Jonathan test Saul last week under the cover of a lie. Hey, tell your dad that I'm going to my old town in Bethlehem. We have this festival, and, I, and my brother's requiring me there. There's going to be none of that happened. He was not, he never left. That was a lie to test Saul to see if he really was murderous in his motivation and heart. And they found out, yes, he is. So God even blesses that occasion by giving them the answer that they were looking for. Now David is lying to a priest, a priest of all people. I always think that's funny, because like if you lie in front of me or something, like it means more to God or something. <laughs> um, it doesn't, <laughs> just so you know. He falsifies the story to the priest in order to procure himself and his men some food. 
Later on, he'll pretend in chapter 21 that he lost his mind. Another lie, deception. It's not only in 1 Samuel, by the way. We see Rahab lie about the spies in Joshua chapter 2. Do you remember that story? She lies about hiding the spies. Abraham also lies about his wife being his sister in Genesis chapter 12. So which is it? Is it okay to lie or is it not okay to lie? When is it okay to lie and when is it not okay to lie? Just to add another piece into the hopper here, you might want to write this down. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 22 says, Lies are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are to his delight. Abomination. Rahab, who we talked about, Joshua chapter 2, who hides the spies and lies about it, she's listed in the Hall of Faith. You ever heard of the Hall of Fame? Basketball Hall of Fame, Football Hall of Fame, Baseball Hall of Fame. You put your best players in the Hall of Fame, right? She's in the Hall of Faith. The list of people who had the greatest amount of faith in the Old Testament is Rahab. For what activity, for this activity of taking in these spies where she lied? To give you some more, Exodus chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 5, where we have the Ten Commandments, it says, thou shall not lie. Actually, it doesn't say that. Did you know this? I just set you up. It doesn't say thou shall not lie. It says thou shall not, somebody in the room, bear false witness. A little different, a little nuance different. But to bear false witness would be in a court setting where you take an oath. Thou shalt not bear, bear fault witness against a neighbor. I promise to tell the truth, but guess what? I'm lying. So some would say, yes, it's a lie, but it's a lie under oath. I actually had a professor in Bible college who would take the position that not all lies are sinful. And no, I'm, I'm really messing with you guys in your mind here. Um, he would give some examples of this. Like lying so as not to give up the secret that there's a surprise party this afternoon at my house to celebrate my wife. I don't want her to know about it, so we've lied a whole lot in getting there. He would say that's a justifiable lie, it's not a sinful lie. Another one, like lying when your wife asks you, do I look uh, too fat in this outfit? <laughs> you better lie on that one. And all the ladies of this church said, same thing happened the first hour. I can't believe you guys actually amend that. <laughs> lie to me. Um, for instance, another situation would be lying to a family member who strikes out on a, a new cooking recipe. Hey, that was a great meal, but you don't need to really do that one again. That kind of thing. His contention was that the lie didn't become sinful unless it was motivated by selfishness. Non-selfish lies were fair game. Almost like a righteous lie. Rahab taking in the spies and lying about it wasn't for herself. She was putting herself in danger so clearly. So that would be a righteous lie. Uh, if you were around uh, during the time where the Nazis were trying to, through the Holocaust, eliminate every Jew from off this earth, and you took in Jews in your house and they were in the walls or in the floorboards or in the attics, and the Nazis came by and said, are there any Jews in your house? And you said, actually, there's none. No, no, I don't. I don't know any of them, that that would be a righteous lie, that that wouldn't necessarily be a, a uh, sinful lie. 
Abraham saying, that's not my wife, that's my sister, that would be an unrighteous lie because what he's doing there is saying, I'm scared that this king's gonna kill me for my wife, so I'll just give him my wife. It's my sister, you can have her. Selfish lie, that one is sinful. So the contention by this professor was that not all lies were sinful, depending on the motivation. Ananias and Sapphira in, in the book of Acts lie to God. That's a bad one. Can never lie to God, they end up losing their life, Right? in selfishness. So, I know you're wondering, what is the right answer? Is it okay, is it morally correct, is it biblically correct to lie or not lie? And this is where I need to disappoint you all. This is not one of those where I'm gonna uh, be able to give you the 100% certainty on it. I'm gonna have to leave you to your own conscience to figure that out. The better question might be, how do you feel, how does your conscience feel about lying? By, by the way, that might be a question in your growth, growth group this week that you guys can all debate. Is lying a sin? Is it a sin for you? Is it not? Where does your conscience get bothered when you lie? Certainly, if all you're known about, if everything they know characteristically about you is you're a liar, something's wrong. But are there points where lying might be justified in God's eyes? That's something that you're gonna to have to wrestle with internally and listen to your own conscience on. And people will differ on where they're at. But we are to follow the conscience because it's the heart of God in our hearts. It's the spirit of God leading us. To do something against your conscience would be sinful whether or not the activity is sinful or not. You need to follow your heart and your conscience on that one. Now, if you leave and go, my pastor said I could lie, that's a lie and it's a selfish one, that's the bad one. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> well, David gives of the priest a story, lies to him. Priest buys it. In response to David, he gives the men the holy bread. By the way, some believe that he was uh, lying to give the priest plausible deniability should Saul ever find out of this occurrence. And that's a possible situation. Regardless, the gift of the holy bread was rather surprising. That's the bread that the priests eat, and I don't know that we're supposed to give it. Mm, that's not necessarily what we would expect. How can God surprise you with his provision in times of extreme desperation? Well, listen, he can feed you with holy bread if he has to. And number two, he can defend you with your enemy's armor. He can defend you with your enemy's armor. This is kind of interesting. We'll look at verses seven through nine together. It says this, and a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day and detained before the Lord. His name was Doge. And he's the Edomite, and he was a chief of Saul's herdmen. And then David said to Ahimelech, the priest again, uh, then you have not... Uh, oh, uh, have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For, for I, I bought neither a sword nor weapons with me because the king's business required haste. There's another lie again. And the priest said, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, uh, of whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is none but that here. And David said, there is none like that. Give it to me. How can uh, God surprise you with this provision in times of extreme desperation while he can defend you even using your enemy's armor? Uh, first thing we see is kind of a seed of doubt that maybe this situation would get back to, Saul ears, back to Saul's ears, which it does because there's a guy there, he's some kind of a runner, a messenger, a herdsman, for King Saul, and actually he will give that message back to Saul, we'll see in chapter 22. Then David says, do you have some kind of weapon that I could use? I didn't grab any food, I didn't grab any weapons. 
And the priest says, hey, there's, there's Goliath's sword. You took him out. The sword's right there. Uh, they would keep these relics in the house of God as a remembrance that God uh, came through for them. He said, give me that. If that's all you got, give me that. Now the sword that was formerly yielded by a mortal enemy who would be defeated is now the sword that would defend a fugitive against his enemy, ensuring that he would not be defeated. Again, this seems to be a surprising occasion, a shocking occasion, even ironic turn of events. Um, First, that the holy bread would be used to sustain David and his men, and secondly, that the enemy's weaponry would be used. Both question the North Star of religious piety. Both question that North Star. Is this really right? And if it is right, how is it right? Which brings me to the big idea. And again, we're going to have to flush this through together. But it'll be on the screen. It says this, human existence takes priority over religious piety. Human existence takes priority. Wow, that's the wrong one. I don't even know how it's possible. Do you have another slide? That was like two days ago's big idea. Anyway, I'm gonna say, did they fix it? All right, good. Maybe I left it on there from two days ago. I'm sorry if I did that to you. Uh, uh, Human existence takes priority over religious piety. Let me explain what I'm talking about. That is to say that if your religious piety, your religious practice is hindering the existence of humanity, then that in itself is evidence that your priorities are misaligned. God gave uh, uh, us religiosity to serve humanity, not to take it out. Does that make sense? In fact, I want to show you this, that in in Mark chapter 2, Jesus refers to our very passage as he walks on the earth. And he has a similar point to what the point is in 1 Samuel. So I want to take you there. Mark chapter 2, verses 23 to 28. Don't turn there, just read it with me. Uh, One Sabbath, when he was going through the grain fields, as they made their way, the disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees, that's the religious right, saying, uh, what are you doing? Look, why are, why are they doing this? This is unlawful to do on the Sabbath day. You can't work on the Sabbath, and they're picking grains and eating it. That's the religious piety, religious practice. What does Jesus say? And he said to them, have you not read Dave, what David did when he was in need and was hungry and those who were with him? Next slide. How he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, which is uh, actually the son of Ahimelech. And so in the, the general timeline of Abathar, the high priest, he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any, of the, any, any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with them. And he said to them, the Sabbath was not made for man, but man for the Sabbath the Son of Man is even Lord of the Sabbath. By the way, I'm the Messiah. I get to say what happens here. I'm Lord of all these spiritual, religious, ceremonial things. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Religiosity was made to serve humanity, not humanity serve religiosity. Human existence takes priority over religious piety. Um, the disciples were hungry doing the work of God. And so they worked a little bit on the Sabbath so they could refuel themselves, continue to do the work of God. David was in dire straits. And we're not going to let religious piety stop him from sustaining himself in the midst of just trying to exist. All right, now I know what you're thinking. 
How in the world <laughs> do you take human existence, takes priority over religious piety? How do you apply that in our lives? If you'll give me a couple seconds, I think I can give you uh, an, uh, an illustration where this principle kind of flushes out, and it can flush out in our everyday lives. Uh, again, this goes back several, several decades ago. I was at a church, and there was a prominent family. Uh, um, the wife was the head of our vocal team. She was our head pianist. She was uh, in the choir. She was also the admin assistant to our worship pastor, part-time. Husband was a gentleman who was kind of like a computer genius, coding in the coding world. Um, didn't enjoy his, law, his job. I get the sense that it was kind of a stressful place, a working environment. But certainly more than, than provided for his family. We found ourselves as a staff team praying for them often. Maybe he could find another job in another field or maybe in the same field but a different in, you know, kind of uh, working context that wouldn't be as stressful on him because he seemed so stressed out all the time. One day, things got much better. Like a flip of a switch, all of a sudden, he was happier. Uh, he was joyful, uh, seemingly doing very, very well. Uh, while she was on the worship team, he was on the tech team. So she would be on the stage, he would be in the back. Anything related to video or video editing or lighting or sound, any of that, he was all in that world. Uh, uh, cameras, all of it. And he had gotten better. His attitude had gotten better. Uh, many of us thought maybe he got a new job. Uh, he was around a lot more. All of a sudden, he could be make practices and planning meetings and large events and, and uh, even daytime meetings. He, he, was, he, he inventoried all of our tech equipment and organized it and brainstormed new ideas for the church. And then finally, his wife, at a, morning, at a, at a, at a, point of, at a breaking point, mentioned to the leaders of the church that he had quit his job. He wasn't actively looking for another one. She was scared of how they were going to be able to make it ends meet. How are we going to pay the mortgage? How are we going to buy food on my part-time salary? Finally, the leaders of the church approached him to ask him what his plan was, and he, all he could talk about is how useful he felt for God and, and how life was so draining when he was in that job, and now that he's serving and volunteering at the church, that he feels like it's so life-giving. And in the end, the church leaders, the pastors, the mentors, the elders of the church had to relieve him of his sense of responsibility of serving as a volunteer so that he could more appropriately spend time finding a new job for provision for his family. Why? Well, because human existence takes priority over religious piety. There's no question God wants you to be religious. There's no question he wants you to practice your religion, that he wants you to love him. But you can't do that and excuse behaviors that you know you should be doing. You can't go to work and take a break and then say, I'm sorry, I took two and a half hours off, but I was having a Bible study. You can't do that. We, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. First John chapter two. We gotta be in the world. We don't get to fly away from this place. We gotta be not of it. We gotta find the balance of that. Even... Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 said, if you don't work, then you do not eat. And by the way, he was speaking that to people in response to the idea, well, Jesus is coming back. Paul, you said Jesus is coming back. We're quitting our jobs and we're just staring at the sky waiting for him to come back. It's 2,000 years later, they'd still be waiting. You got to work. 
You've got to balance these things out and your existence, your physical existence matters and you're not allowed to use religious piety and religious practice as an excuse for you not to move forward. You got people that are relying on you. You got a wife who's relying on you. You got kids, mothers who are relying on you. You've got to make sure that you keep these things in balance. Religiosity can't be used as an excuse to get out of doing what you know you need to do. Human existence takes priority over religious piety. I'm not sure, quite sure how God wants to use us in your life. There's a lot of application points that could be useful for you. Could it be that you're the one coming desperately hoping that God will meet you there? And he will, even if he has to meet you at the back door. He set a table of presence for you. He'd love to meet you face to face. He's not a far away God, he's a close God. And there's always a seat at his table. Maybe that's you. That's what you needed today. Maybe it's the reminder that your religious piety or religious practice shouldn't stop you from doing the things that you should be doing as a responsibility to your family, to your employer, career, all those things. You gotta balance those out. Maybe it's just taking a look at how much you lie. And is this one of those things that's like, okay, maybe I can justify that lie? Or is this like, no, these are selfish lies. So clearly, I'm off base. Don't let religious practice be your excuse. We see that at times in young believers who are just biblically equipped enough to be dangerous. They can manipulate the text into justifying their actions. But understand this, God expects us to maintain our human existence and serve him at the same time. Why don't you bow your head and close your eyes with me. As we close out, Father, we do want to be religious. <laughs> we do want to be pious. We do want to have a priority of our religious faith. We do want to grow in Christ. We, we want to saturate ourselves with the word of God that you would change for me. We want to be countercultural and, and look different and point people to Jesus. All that's true, but we also want to represent you well and that we take care of all our physical responsibilities as well. Help us not use religiosity and religious terms to justify things that we know we shouldn't be doing. Help us know that when we're in our deepest despair, you are there at the lowest of the low, you will meet us. You can turn water into wine. You'll give us the holy bread. You can even give us our enemies weaponry to defend us. You're a God who's near, not far away. And then help us. There may be times where I don't know, maybe you call us. Maybe we, in our conscience, feel like God is calling me in this situation to in righteousness say these spies are not here. But help us not use that as an excuse to selfishly deceive and lie on our accord. That would be a misuse of your word. Grow us in your faith that we would be ever present with you at the table of presence. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank, thank you, Pastor David. Good morning. My name is Jim Moyer. I'm pastor of discipleship and family ministry here at Camp CC. And as is our custom here at Camp CC on the first Sunday of the month, we are going to celebrate communion in a special 
element of our worship time. So we'll have a few more minutes of worship and communion uh, today. Jesus, during the Passover meal with his disciples, took bread and he broke it and uh, gave thanks and said, this is my body given for you. And he took a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood of a new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. So Jesus in communion gave us a very tangible way to remember his death and uh, which began a new covenant between God and humanity. Jesus's death and resurrection gave us a way to reconcile to God through the forgiveness of sins. This was a gift from the Father. Scripture says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And this is in Jesus. So from the ashes of our former life, there is new life. Life is born. The relationship with God is restored. And Jesus is calling us for this. We are adopted into God's family and we have the right to be called sons and daughters of God. And Jesus is calling us into this. And we find joy out of sorrow. And there is eternal life in the presence of God. And Jesus is calling us for this. This is what we remember and this is what we celebrate in communion. So the elements of communion are at the top of the, uh, the aisles, the uh, juice and the bread. And uh, we will sing in the next few moments, the next few minutes, a couple songs, uh, two songs. And when you're ready, come forward and take the elements and then spread out along the, the stage and eat and drink. And if you're here with your family, let's we encourage you to, to do this with your family. And if you're mobility challenged, you know, it'd be difficult for you to come down to the front. Um, no worries. Uh, we understand that. The ushers will have the elements and they'd be happy to serve you in your seat. Please just get a hold of their, uh, their attention and they'll be uh, right there to serve you. And um, just a reminder or just a, a note, the element that we have here are a little bit different than we've served before. The bread's at the bottom. And um, I experienced a little trouble with that last service. So I just want to warn you, um, bread's at the bottom for that. So let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you that you loved us enough to send your son that he would die and be raised again that we could have this relationship with you. And Father, I pray as we eat and we drink, as we participate in communion with you, would you speak to us in our hearts and tell us of your just overwhelming love and grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
switch gears here every year we do something uh, special called trunk or treat and uh, we award the trunk or treat championship belt of the world to the trunk that got the most votes for the best trunk of the year before I get into that I want to mention you that we had 1100 people on campus on Halloween night 1100 we counted them right before we even opened our doors, we had 180 of you guys here already setting up what we believe was upwards of 50 trunks. You brought your kids. It was awesome. Uh, we provided, again, we were trying to be a place for the community, provide a safe place. I was uh, in charge of security, and so we had six guys up top, five guys on the bottom. I can't tell you how many times I heard thank you for, we, I would literally be saying, hey, we're checking every bag, we're having a fun time tonight, we're just checking all bags, purses, uh, baby seats, everything. And how many mothers would say, thank you so much, I make me feel so much more comfortable being here, knowing that every bag was checked. And so our security team did a great job as well. And we wanna say thank you to everybody who did a trunk, because it's not just about one trunk who won, it's about everybody providing these wonderful kids in our community an awesome time. But. We had to have a winner. So let's bring up the uh, growth group uh, extraordinaire. Uh, what do you guys call yourselves? 
Nybecker. Nybecker Growth Group. If you weren't there, I just got to tell you, you got to go online, check out pictures. They had a DeLorean that was connected. If you remember seeing uh, the movie uh, Back to the Future, they had the light tower. They had a line from the light tower. They had a, a beanbag toss into the flex, flex capacitor. If you made it through the hole, the flex capacitor lit up. There was music. And then lightning would strike, go down from the clock tower all the way to the DeLorean. I'm serious. It was that. And they also had the very flyers from the movie that say, save the clock tower. Remember that? It was incredible. I, I'm just telling you, it might have been the best trunk in all of the United States. It was that good. It was that good. And before I give them the belt, I just got to, I got to try. Listen, somebody's got to dethrone these guys. They, they've won two out of three years. They have like guys work at NASA on their team. It's, it's not fair. Somebody has got to dethrone these guys and, and, and help us get a different name on this belt. Kenny's already asking if he can be rebaptized with this belt. I'm refusing to do it. It's not going to happen, not on my watch. And, uh, but I want to say applause for them for winning. They did a great job. They really did. But applause to all you guys. Listen, 50 trunks. It was amazing. Kids were like, their eyes were open wide. Families felt safe. You never know when they get to the point where they're going, you know what, maybe I should try the church thing out. Let me go try that church that did the trunk or three treat thing. That's why we do it. Thank you for being a part of it. Thank you for inviting. And I'm going to give Kenny the microphone so he can do his little speech. I got my own microphone. Yeah, so so um, it's all for the children, of course. <laughs> but you know you too can have your name engraved on this next year and immortalized for all time you just have to up your game a little bit if you expect to beat us and i heard from lisa that john's already started on his trunk for next year so so there you go all right well thank you guys <laughs> well uh we're gonna receive our offering now this is one of the ways we worship god God's laid on your heart to give. There's three ways you can participate, as you can see on the screen, um, either via our website, via text, by texting the amount to 84321, or we have an offering box in the lobby. Um, it's how we support all of our ministries, including missions. And I just want to say, uh, many of you were at the um, fundraiser for Romania. It's a, it's a ministry we support in, in our missions budget. Um, they had a fundraiser last night, and they were able to raise $50,000 which represents um, over 40% of their annual budget. Um, and it's, when I was, it's like a Camarillo Community Church reunion. We're like 60% of the people there. It was really fun. So thank you guys for supporting that ministry if you were there last night as well. All right, before we go, let's check out this video. What's coming up next? Hey, Nathaniel Van Heerden here. What up, CC? I'm the Young Adults Director. We meet every Tuesday night here at the church from 7 to 9 p.m. Come check us out. If you want more info on our YA ministry, you can email me at ya at camcc.net. If today is your first time with us, we are so glad you are here. If it's your second time, welcome back. If you're a first time guest, we have a $5 Starbucks gift card for you. Fill out our connection card, take it to the welcome counter in the lobby, or scan the QR code with your phone's camera. Include your prayer requests on that card as well. If this is your second visit, let us know and you'll get a $10 gift card to In-N-Out Burger. We will also invite you to our all-you-can-eat dessert with our pastors, elders, and staff. Online viewers, go to camcc.net slash next steps to go through the guest process. There are some pretty sweet things coming up at CamCC. Who will you invite? 
the month of November, Community Impact Kindness Kits. With our new initiative, we will be collecting items to assemble kindness kits for the homeless. Check out our Amazon wish list on the kindness kit card for the needed items you can bring any Sunday in November to the lobby, new and unopened. Then check this out. On November 26th, help us pack the kits right after each gathering. For more info, go to camcc.net slash impact. Tuesday, November 14th, worship night, 7 p.m. A time of prayer, scripture, and music. People are encountering Jesus on these dynamic nights. Grab some of these worship night cards in the lobby and start inviting friends and family to join you. In connection with worship night, kids grade K through fifth, get ready for neon worship night. Glow dough, games, popcorn, and worship. It's gonna be awesome, bring a friend. Birth through pre-K, come in your jammies, I know I'll be in mine, and enjoy PJs and popcorn. There is something for everyone. Food pantry turkeys. Help those in our city who may not have turkeys for Thanksgiving and bring a turkey before Friday, November 17th to the pantry before noon on Fridays or to church on Sundays. For more info, email meredith at camcc.net. Saturday, November 18th, nature walk and play for young families, 9.30 to 11.30 a.m. Come join us for a nature walk and free play at Camarillo Grove Park. For more info, email youngfamilies at camcc.net. Christmas is coming! Be on the lookout for December activities at CamCC soon. To stay in the loop of what is going on at CamCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, go to CamCC.net. My name is Bree Wall. I'm a worship leader here at CamCC. Something I got out of the message was when I am going through those low of lows and I am um, desperate for someone um, to reach out to God, he'll meet you there. Um, the other thing that I need to be doing is to pray and um, to find other Christians to pray with. Um, something that we are gonna be doing is to have the prayer team down here. So if you need prayer or you know of somebody that needs prayer, come down and pray. Um, we'd be happy to, to pray with you and we'd love to love on you and pray with you. And uh, please join us out on the patio for coffee and donuts. I also heard Meredith is dressed up as a turkey, so go find her. And we'll see you next Sunday. <laughs>